0: Greetings. How are you doing? How's life? How's work? How's the balance between the two? I want to remind you again, I do a master class on the third Thursday of every month at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern. And if you want to check out what the next topic is and to register, you can find the link in the show notes, but it's mastercoachwebinars.card, C-A-R-R-D.co. So we're hearing a lot about the great resignation of 2021, and I wanted to talk about the volatile job market and what's really going on in 2021. I wanted to personally do a deep dive on this, and as I started doing my research, I thought, well, why not just share it with the audience? I didn't feel like I understood what was going on in all of this, so I really wanted to wrap my brain around it. Now, according to the Labor Department, a record 4 million people quit their jobs in April 2021, which was officially sort of the start of what we're calling the Great Resignation Period. And people started seeing their lives differently, and and that was a, a prompt for quitting. Some realized that they were spending so much time commuting and they wanted to continue to work remotely. There was the exhaustion of the digital overload, the lack of connections, the the disjointedness of working, the Zoom fatigue, all of those things. I wanted to give you some statistics to kind of set the stage for what's going on. According to Monster.com, 95% of workers are currently considering changing jobs. So let's just say everybody... <laughs> For all intents and purposes, everybody's thinking about it on on some level. But there's definitely a disparity in the figures. Microsoft Research found that 41% of the global workforce is considering changing jobs. So you've got one is more than double the number of the other. Human resource executives were polled and they expected only 8% of employees to quit once COVID restrictions were lifted. So... (laughs) That's just a huge, everything from 8% to 95% is nuts, right? So I don't know that anybody knows what's going on. According to Global Workplace Analytics, the hybrid work model is here to stay. 25 to 30% of the U.S. workforce will be working partially from home by the end of 2021. And I have said before, and I think on this podcast, I've certainly talked about it with my clients, that I think the companies that insist on going back to business as usual without a compelling business reason to do so will be at the short end of the stick when it comes to hiring because employees are on to them. Employees know That you can do this work from home and you can do it better in many cases. And if the company is not willing to have that flexibility, they're going to be at the end of the line and and getting great employees. According to Rainmaker Thinking's report, Winning the Talent Wars, they found the following Voluntary unplanned turnover, which they're calling the quit rate, is increasing. Pent up departure demand, the want to quit rate, is also increasing. So you've got a ton of people. That want to quit you got a ton of people that are quitting and then early voluntary departure of new hires so employees for less than 18 months is increasing so we've got and i've certainly seen that in my practice people who took a job thought it was the job and very quickly realized that it wasn't so you've got all of this turnover coming on and the people that aren't leaving want to leave so what's going on what's really happening here the first thing I think we want to talk about is workforce burnout and depression. So there is this collective sense of we are exhausted. We have been running a marathon, but at a sprint speed. We are feeling isolated. We are tired. We're, we have Zoom exhaustion, all of those things. Next, there is the certainly still fear of infection. You know, right now we're dealing, as I record this, there's the Delta variant and some closures and some restrictions that are being brought back in because of that. So there are people who, for maybe health reasons, maybe their age, pre-existing conditions, have a real fear of returning to the workplace, especially if it is configured the way that it was before COVID and that feels unsafe to go back to. You then also have the issue of the extended unemployment and other benefits. So essentially, we have, in our effort to help the American people, we have de-incentivized the workforce in many cases. And so I live in Florida, and they've taken away the extra benefits. So it's just a baseline unemployment rate. And I think many states have followed that. And so there are people who, especially if they were at the lower end of the income, they're thinking, What's the benefit of going back to work by the time I pay for child care? All I'm doing is paying for child care. The next thing is increased family care needs. So whether it is changes with children's education, their, their schooling or their daycare or family members who are ill or maybe there wasn't really anything wrong with the family. But now that they've been home for an extended period of time. The employees are viewing their work, their home environment differently and what they want to contribute and how they want to participate in their home environment differently. Location disruption. So whether that is my job doesn't operate in the same place, you know, there's some disruption in where I do my job. Now I'm being asked to go to another location. I have had some clients in this situation where now their commute is doubled. And they really don't want to do that. They don't want to go from being home for more than a year to now double the commute that they had prior to COVID. Then there's also changes in certain industries. So that that very fundamental change in things like healthcare, education, public safety, the hospitality industry, some of those that were, that were most deeply affected by COVID have changed the way they do business. And that isn't appealing to all of the employees. Hastened retirements and career pausing is another issue. So we had a fair number of people in 2020 and 2021 who have taken advantage of the opportunity to retire. They've been encouraged to retire. Maybe they're pausing their careers. They're what I call downshifting. They're trying to find a less stressful job, a job with more work-life balance. So there's all of that going on. And then finally postpone plans for things like additional school whether it's kids going off to college whether it's the parents pursuing a degree that they wanted certain training so there's some delayed workforce entry or re-entry going on because of educational related things next thing I want to talk about is what are the costs of these things what what are what's really going on here from an employer's perspective, we have missed opportunities. So when we are suffering from a lack of a workforce or a disorganized workforce, we're missing sales opportunities. Maybe we don't have the staff to go out and make the sale. Maybe we don't have the the fulfillment of the orders that have been purchased. We We can't meet the need. Services can't be delivered. You know, there's all of those kind of pipeline sorts of issues. Number two, current staff members are, are burnout from overcommitment. So companies as a whole are dealing with hugely demotivated, overstressed, overwhelmed, unmotivated workforce. The next one is overtime costs are increasing. So here are these companies that are struggling to meet the demand now, depending on what industry they're in. Some industries are doing incredibly well, but yet they're also dealing with not enough employees. You've probably experienced what I have with, I tried to go to a, you know, maybe a fast food restaurant and the dine in feature is is closed and there's a sign on the door that it's because of a staffing shortage and that that is happening in pockets all over the place. So at the same time, we don't have enough staff. The ones that we do have, we're imposing upon them. We are further over committing them with overtime. And those costs are very real costs for the company. Then this is an interesting one that I really had to wrap my brain around. Perpetual understaffing causes bad habits as employees see cutting corners as the only solution. That was how I worded it. But it's this notion that We're in crisis mode. We are trying the best we can. And so we've, in many cases and in many industries, have sort of thrown the rule book and the playbook out the door, and we're just trying to keep the doors open. And that can create a lot of bad habits. And if the leadership isn't there to kind of rein that back in as the company gets the employees it needs and starts to get back on track, it can really create a devastating effect. And then this one, I think, is a huge one, and I'm hearing this a lot from clients. New hires are not getting the onboarding and the initial training that they need to be fully engaged and productive. So when we are finding people to work and we're bringing them in, we're doing it slapdash, haphazardly, they're leaving in record numbers, which I just talked about a moment ago, and a lot of it is because they are not properly trained. So they're there, there's nobody to train them, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, and they leave. According to Winning the Talent Wars, these are the top four causes of early departures. So I want to wanna to separate out why do people leave within the first, say, six months versus a little bit later on. Number one, buyer's remorse. So an employee gets in there, an employer has oversold the job, oversold the company, made promises they can't keep. And they're doing this because they're desperate. So they are, they're not telling the truth. I had a client just the other day tell me that she can look back now at her interview and realize that the employer was struggling with whether to tell her the truth about what she would be walking into or not. And she can remember now the very point at which he decided I better not tell her because she won't take the job and we really need her here. So now she's in this position and she is anxious to get out of it, number two. Two is inadequate in onboarding and initial training. And I talked about that a moment ago. But again, in this effort to just kind of get bodies, warm bodies in there, we aren't doing the proper training so that these people can do their job, not cost us money because they screw things up and they're engaged. Right. So if they if they're not engaged and they leave, then the company has lost a ton of money. So we really have to be careful about this onboarding and initial training. The next thing that's, that's happening, the next cause of early departure is people are being handed off to an unsupportive manager. So they're going through the hiring process and then they're getting dumped in the lap of someone who either maybe hasn't been a manager before, maybe the manager's covering an area that they, they've never covered before and they don't care about it, but the manager is not supportive, not giving them the tools and the support and the encouragement that they need to be successful. And then finally, limited flexibility. You just can't expect an employee to go from working at home and having a ton of flexibility in some cases to a very rigid environment with very little flexibility. It's just too much. And this is a quote from Rainmaker Thinking and, and their report winning the talent wars. When employees, whether new hires or longer term, decide to quit when the time is right, we call this leaving in your head or leaving without leaving. This phenomenon is sometimes the explanation for diminished performance or bad attitude from a previously good employee. So you've exited, and this is from a career development perspective, this is a known phenomenon, right? So If we don't leave in our head before we leave physically, we have a hard time leaving physically when we're supposed to. We prepare ourselves mentally before we physically walk out the door. And if you've got a lot of people in the same company that have left in their head and are looking elsewhere, you can imagine the diminished capacity there. The people are not engaged. They're not physically present. Maybe they're, you know, finding ways to be out of the office so they can engage in their job search. They're certainly mentally not present. Now, here are the five stages, or five causes, rather, of mid-stage department departure, according to Rainmaker thinking. Overcommitment syndrome. So, again, the people that are working, they have been engaged in a, in a sprint for a marathon length of time. And it creates kind of a siege mentality And everything that comes at them. Every new assignment, every new request feels like an assault on them. You can't survive that way very often. They have a disengaged or unsupportive manager. So again, there's going to be some overlap between these mid-stage departures and early stage departures. And as any research will tell you, that boss is the number one reason that people leave. So whether you've just got there or you've been there a while, if you have a disengaged or unsupportive manager, you're in trouble. The next one is limited flexibility. So again, same situation. Don't take me out of this office and make me work from home for a year and a half or more and then come and try to put me back into a very small box. It. I know better. I know that I don't have to work this way and I refuse to do it. And the next one is lack of a career path. So as opposed to early career, when you get into mid-career and there are no opportunities to move up, to move over to excel in the organization, to promote in the organization, you're going to be looking elsewhere. And then finally, relationship conflicts. So whether that's boss to, you know, boss to peer or boss to you or peer to peer or subordinate to you, whatever it is, those relationship conflicts are a big reason that people leave. And here's another quote from them. As hiring soars to record levels in the post-pandemic era, quit rates are also soaring As pent up departure demand is released. What does that mean? People were, up until apparently April of this year, very afraid to leave their job because of the scarcity of jobs because of the pandemic. So, people who had a job, whether they were miserable or not, felt like they should be grateful that they had a job and that they had an income coming in. And there was all this pent up frustration. And once That sort of floodgate opened and people saw that there were job opportunities out there. There was this mass exodus um, to look for other opportunities. I wanted to end by talking about where are the vacancies and, and kind of what's going on in the various sectors. And so construction, manufacturing, warehousing, pharmacy jobs are in ample supply. This is a quote from Indeed. The economy is still all about the pandemic and the biggest increase in job postings are those that either help us get through the pandemic or help us get out of the pandemic. Interesting way of looking at it. The hottest jobs sectors are those that make and move things. So e-commerce, warehouse, delivery jobs, think Amazon, right? all of which surged during the pandemic are now growing at an even faster clip. The number of warehouse jobs listed on indeed as of early April was 57% above what they were before the virus struck. And what I want you to think about is, okay, warehouse jobs, but I'm not a warehouse worker. I'm a manager. I'm a senior manager. I'm a, I'm an accountant. So warehouses need all of those things. So when you think warehouse, I don't want you to just think I'm going to be the person putting this woman's new sweater in the box from Amazon. There are lots of other jobs to do with warehouse and supply a chain and that kind of thing. The broader logistics field could add as many as 4.5 million new jobs over the next five years. And this is according to Burning Glass, a labor market analytics firm. So we have the frontline jobs like truck drivers. We also have data analysts, software engineers, project managers, other positions required to maintain supply chains. So that makes total sense as we are increasingly becoming a a digital world that makes our purchases online, everything to do with that from a truck driver to a logistics person, all of those people are needed in that process of getting those products to us. Factories that make goods are also going through their own labor pains. So manufacturers laid off fewer workers during the first wave of COVID compared with the service industries. Meanwhile, consumer demand for everything from personal protective equipment, of course, surged. Vehicles surged, believe it or not. And so there was a squeeze on that sector. There was a lot of demand on on factories and, and manufacturers. The drive to vaccinate people against COVID 19 has also spawned job opportunities in things like pharmacies, healthcare organizations. So across the United States, more than one in five job openings at the end of February 2021 was in healthcare and social assistance. So lots of jobs around that. And part of it is because of the demand of COVID. And then the other part of it is the people who have left or unfortunately died from COVID who were in healthcare. The industries that are still hurting, education has really taken a big hit. And in my opinion, hasn't done a particularly good job of figuring out how to navigate through this. They were very unprepared, and I'm thinking mostly of higher education because that's where my background is. IT has suffered, and they're supposed to surge here going forward, but there was a blip with with IT. Beauty and wellness, so there's still a slow return to services around your, you know, physical appearance and your, you know, your hair and your nails and and all of those kinds of things. And then of course hospitality and tourism is is coming up. It is surging back, but it has taken a huge hit. So finally I wanted to give you seven trends that the Microsoft report highlighted that leaders need to know. And I really wanted whether you're a leader or whether you're the person being led, I want you to think about these. Number one, flexible work is here to stay. 73% 73% of workers say they want some kind of flexible work options to continue, and 67% want more in-person time with their team. So there's pretty even amount of people that are saying, I want to go back to work. I want to be in the office that are saying, don't make me go back in an office. And companies really have to be respectful of that and give the flexibility and also consider redesigning their physical spaces to better accommodate a hybrid work environment. Number two, leaders are out of touch with their employees. <laughs> People expect their employers and their leaders to empathize with them about their unique challenges. And so more one-on-one meetings, more informal conversations, especially when you're dealing with remote workers, how do we keep them engaged? How do we connect with them when we don't physically you know, hold the same space as them? Number three, this is a huge one. High productivity is masking an exhausted workforce. 54% of all workers feel overworked. And there was a lot of statistics that I saw um, and that they pulled from Microsoft Teams. I'll give you a couple of those. The average Teams meeting is 10 minutes longer. Average team user sends 45% more chats per week, 42% more chats per person after hours. 62% of meetings are not planned. Ah, of course, you're exhausted with all of that going on. We've made it to where it's so easy to schedule a Teams or a Zoom meeting that people are completely exhausted from those meetings. Number four, Gen Z is at risk and will need to be re-energized. So these are the employers employees ages 18 to 25. So they're just really entering the workforce and they are reporting a higher difficulty in balancing work with life and tend to feel more exhausted after a typical day of work compared to older generations. Now, I don't pretend to understand Gen Z. I'm not an expert, so I'm not sure what's going on there, but they need that sense of purpose and connection. Maybe it has to do with the fact that they don't have anything from their past to pull on, so their first experience is this weird thing going on with with COVID and so they don't have old Memories and old experiences to pull from. Number five, shrinking networks are endangering innovation. So, what seems to be happening is people who have weaker workplace relationships, they're working remotely, they don't feel connected to those people, they are not thriving in innovative kinds of activities. The quote is When you lose connections, you stop innovating. So, I think that's an interesting one. Number six, authenticity will spur productivity and well-being so a, a good trend that started last year was increasing authentic relationships with those closest to us so I, I can definitely say that in my personal life you know it was an opportunity to take out i don't mean to say take out the trash but just discard some relationships that were not healthy for me that were not safe, serving me The research shows that 39% of people said they were more likely to be their whole selves at work compared to one year ago. So something interesting has happened with this work from home and new world order that they, in many cases, they are increasing kind of inclusion, productivity, innovation, and psychological safety. And then finally talent is everywhere in a hybrid world so no longer are you or a company restricted by where you physically live or where your business is in order to find top talent so they can really find them you know anywhere on the planet and this makes it more accessible for minorities for women with children and people who prefer to live in smaller cities people who prefer remote work all of those things are much more possible than they were two years ago so i i know that i've thrown a lot of statistics at you and a lot of facts but i hope that the message that you've taken is that we are in a new world order we are playing by a different rule book than we were just two years ago and we as employees have to let our preferences be known and we have to speak up for ourselves and not allow companies to box us in in a way that they told us before the pandemic was necessary and we have to really be in tune we want to be really in tune to who we are what we want what kind of work life blend i like to call it blend over balance we want and be very clear in that and have those kind of requirements, I call them non-negotiables, going into our job search, going into our interview conversations and certainly into our negotiations as we look for new jobs and make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and that our drive to make sure our employer keeps its doors open or whatever that is, is an overriding our taking care of our own selves, that we are putting ourselves first and making sure we are getting what we need, getting our batteries charged. I hope this has been helpful and I'll see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach. So be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.